0: Pitch. Swing a long Deep left.
1: all right welcome back to another episode of the 90th percentile this is your host jeff ponce alongside me is my co-host as always matt pajak of Loden sports matt no guests today man we're having a conversation between the two of us um if you haven't listened to The Exposure Funnel, the three-part Exposure Funnel podcast, go back and check those out after you listen to this episode. I think it was uh, some of the best work that uh, we've done on this podcast. It was some of my favorite episodes, particularly the conversation uh, with your friend Matt Pierce from uh, Sliders Baseball. Um, I thought that was a great conversation, really got into some nitty-gritty details and um, had some some conversations in greater detail around youth development youth baseball and all that sort of thing so matt man how's it going that was my incredibly long like one minute intro
2: i gotta do a mic check can you hear me can you hear me i can can hear you all right all right sorry that whole time we were talking before we went live i'm I'm talking in front of this mic it's not even plugged in (laughs) well your computer was picking it up man you know well i will say i gotta give my computer credit and i also have you know a relatively you know, quiet situation here. So I don't have to really worry about things, but anyway, I just want to make sure that I wasn't going to start talking and have a mic situation here. Yeah. I mean, uh, exposure funnel, uh, good stuff. And we got more coming down the pike, uh, might have a current big leaguer talking about it on, uh, on our next episode. So, um, you're right. Yes. Stay tuned for that. But no, I mean, Jeff, other than rubbing vinegar on my dog because he's anxious and I don't want him to give himself bald spots, I, I'm doing what? great. That's a thing. Oh yeah, he's got a bald spot on his side. You rub vinegar? Yeah, where it's it came awesome. from, and then I saw him licking it yesterday, and I'm like, mm. Did he lick himself bald there because of his anxiety? Yeah, probably. Yeah, that happens.
1: You got to figure it out, man. Get some. Uh, you got to get some doggy CBD treats or something. I don't know. He doesn't like him. those. He doesn't like them. Are you giving him those. That always bugs me out. I'm like, really? CBD for dogs, huh? All right. Okay. You know? Yeah. I mean, um, we
2: tried something that was like a little bit like lower power, and then we tried, you know, like an actual CBD treat, and he didn't want the actual CBD treat. And I'm not even sure the lower power thing did anything. I think he's like, I mean, he's a rescue, right? So. Sure. He's got traumas that that we'll never know, and he probably isn't able to escape from in his head but let me just tell you if i'm not with within eyesight like it's a it's a panic for him anyway
1: you got you got separation anxiety you know yeah
2: love him to death
1: you're like a mom with a little baby look at you matt daddy daddy matt pajak dog daddy that's he's the dog daddy that's, that's my dog
2: that's my dog <laughs>
1: All right, we're filling this up with dog talk. Any sandwiches this week? You, you you partake in anything? I saw you eat something at Pierce's place that looked fairly tasty.
2: Oh, yeah. He made the, the dinosaur beef rib. That thing was huge. I didn't realize how big it was until after. So he smoked queso. Oh, so nice. I want to shout out HEB food Food Markets. That's like the big food market down in Houston, greater Houston area. Yeah. It's like their grocery stores. They go there and like all the food is locally sourced.
1: That's pretty great.
2: Yeah, I actually, you know what? I had a, I had a pretty good sandwich down there and, um, it was a recommendation of Pierce's wife. It was like a club sandwich, but it was like the Turkey was smoked, thick cut, good bacon. It was at a, at a old market in Katy. Anyway, um, good so, eats. Anytime you're down in Houston, hanging out with Pierce, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, not too bad out there in, uh, Katie, Texas, getting yourself some good stuff.
2: Yeah, I, uh, and then this past weekend, farmer Remy shot down a pheasant in South Dakota, brought it back, was like, Hey, anybody want a pheasant? I've never cooked pheasant. I was like, Yeah, I'll take a pheasant. So I roasted one of those guys on Saturday night and that came out pretty good. So Yeah, did you mm. like it? It's good stuff. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't do it all the time, but like, you know, once in a blue moon for sure.
1: Wonder if Mason Wynn knows about this sandwich. He's a Katie native, isn't he? He is that where he's from? I believe he is a Katy Texas native. I'm a, I, I cover the 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 Cardinals and he is uh they're top-rated prospects so I know know a bit about uh, old Mason Wynn. I don't know if he grew up there or not. I think he went to high school in Kingwood, but I believe he was born in Katy, Texas.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm pretty say. sure uh I knew he was Houston area. I didn't know where specifically. Let's see. Katy I'm going to pull out this name here. That way everyone <laughs> has it for when they're in Katy, Texas.
1: This is this is the, the sandwich place? Yeah. This While is you a... look that up, let me mention, I was at the Patriots game this week. I got some tickets from uh, Matt via his family. Thank you very much. Took my youngest to his first NFL game. He had a blast. He's he made a good. terrible decision. He's gone from being a Chiefs fan to after going to a Patriots game, in which they lost. Mm-hmm. He is now a diehard Patriots fan, and on the way to school today, was like, "Dad, when did the Pats play again?" And I was like, "Oh man, this kid, this kid, it's like he's gonna have the same trauma I had, and I just, I, he's not gonna get a Brady, like he's not gonna get that. So his humilin period is gonna be a lot longer than my humilin period. He may not even I, have a, a blood cell. I don't know.
2: He, he's you know? not even gonna have a blood cell. It, <laughs> but that's ignition right there, ignited."
1: Yeah, there you go. So I have somebody that's going to be obsessed. Because that's the one team where I'm like a fan. Baseball, I I, I like the game. You know, basketball. I I like the Celtics, but I'm not like crazy, crazy. Same thing with hockey. I'm more of a college hockey fan than an NHL guy, but I do do cheer for the Bruins. But like the Patriots, I haven't missed a game. I missed one game in 20 years, and it was in 2006. I want to say it was around this time, maybe like November 15th or 16th. Uh, they played the Packers, and I was coming back from a wedding in the Dominican Republic, and I didn't get a chance to watch that game. That's the one Patriots game that I think I've missed since 2000. I missed a few in 2000 because I went away to school. But uh, after that, man, it's been pretty much every game.
2: I'm yeah, I here. think I've missed a, a few more than you, but rarely will I miss a game. I'm not missing a game by by my decision. Um, no. No. And yeah, I'm with you. Like it's it's Bruins over Celtics for me, but I really don't pay attention to either of them um a huh. whole lot until the spring. I feel like the NBA and the NHL seasons for a sport that I'm I'm not really super dialed into or just too long. Um but, the yeah, tournament not you know.
1: I know I'm the only person on, in America that apparently likes the NBA uh in-season tournament, but yeah, we're gonna I save that. I watched all those games. I watched every single instant eastern tournament game on Saturday on Friday. I watched them live, I then went back and watched them the next day, and then I watched all the I'll watch all the in-season tournament games tonight. I have an NBA ticket because my youngest loves basketball. Um so I watch a lot of NBA, frankly. And like the beginning of the NBA season is tough. At least this gives me something to tune into that's kind of interesting. Like who's gonna go to Vegas? And there's like this four day single elimination playoff. Like, I don't know. I mean, I grew up in a house. My father is Portuguese and Brazilian. He's very into soccer. So I'm very used to in season cup tournaments during the regular season. It's not foreign to me whatsoever.
2: I just don't like the idea of dangling a carrot. Like, Hey, let's go to Vegas. You know, I don't like like when Vegas is the epicenter of sports. I've got a problem with that. That's a different topic that I could go for a long time on and we're not gonna do that. Midway food market and Katie.
1: Okay, there you go. That's the name.
2: Midway Yeah, I don't know.
1: We'll talk about maybe we'll discuss the Vegas thing another time. Um I tend to be less uh I'm not a gambler, but I just don't doesn't bother me one way or another. So
2: my wife is very bothered that they got the Raiders. She's very bothered that they're getting the A's. She's She's like, Vegas doesn't deserve it. She's, bo- she's really bothered about the Golden Knights. Is how she they did be-
1: I think your wife is from North Carolina.
2: She is. Uh, she's she's bothered by the fact that like the Golden Knights are an expansion team that were immediately like one of the best teams in the NHL, and they've already won a Stanley Cup. It makes yeah. sense. That makes sense to me.
1: Hey, I'm from the Northeast, so I get angry when anybody in a warm climate wins a Stanley Cup. So I got to be honest. I'm full-on curmudgeon. I don't even like the Carolina Panthers. They should still be the Hartford Whalers. That's my most offensive opinion. But
0: we're Your not talking him. about
1: this today, man. We're talking about something I brought up to you. Typically, you have the great ideas and I fill in the blanks. <laughs> today, my idea is okay. I don't know. I don't know if it's great or not, but it's something that's on the other foot. Yeah. It's something the Croc, the, the Chewbacca Croc is on the other foot. Um, I got a pair of Chewbacca Crocs this week and showed them off to the Matt. So. It's going to consistently come up in the show for the next several months that being said um a topic that i feel like gets discussed all the time and i feel like it lacks a lot of context in the public space and that is what i'm calling the imaginary war of uh scouting versus analytics the battle between scouting and analytics um
2: yeah jeff i'm going to be completely honest with you when you sent me this i thought you were sending me the script for the next avengers film not next an guy, it, but It I, would
1: be pretty good, right? I'm
2: pretty sure they've got a movie called The Imaginary War. I think it's actually Infinity War, but it's close Infinity enough. War. It Infinity War. Infinity War. Yeah, I, yes. Play on that, you know? Yeah, I'm into funny. alliteration, what can I say? Um, yeah. You know, the
1: repetition of those initial consonant sounds. It gets me every time, Matt. Um, so let's, let's talk about it a little bit up front, right? I think that there has been a tremendous discussion, particularly on Twitter and in the public space, of like, Scouts do this well, and 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 analytics you can do this, and like, you know, scouts aren't are meaningless, and analytics is phasing them out. And then there's sort of the the opposite reaction of like these nerds that never played baseball and they don't understand anything, and you know, yada yada yada. And there's just this a lot of like back and forth and battling. And I just personally, I'm somebody who tries to sit in the middle a little bit. Um, I'm fascinated by improving myself as a a traditional, you know, at the park scouting way. Uh, I'm I'm always challenging myself to do more with numbers, to learn how to do things. I mean, last week for, uh, you know, that article I put out with the the stat cast rankings for hitters for all 30 systems, um, you know, I I figured out how to use pivot tables more effectively than I had previously. Uh, I jumped into chat GPT and and use some of that to, uh, you know, refine some of the things that I was doing. Um, and I'm somebody that, you know, I, I go to 90 to 100 baseball games a year. I'm always at the park from pretty much February through September, and you know, um, talk to a lot of scouts, to talk to a lot of analysts, I do a lot of number stuff. So for me, like, I feel like I sit in the middle of the two worlds, and I see the benefits of each. And you know, I want to just sort of define what i think those are man. i don't know if you have anything you want to chime in here before i keep going i know i'm talking a lot
2: <laughs> uh no i i really enjoy this conversation i've got some some fun stuff to add in here when we when when my time comes
0: mm.
1: well i think like when you look at, at traditional scouting um in-person looks i think that seeing players and it was funny the patriots game the other day gave me a great example of This because you have two big tv screens at both ends I mean, good seats right at the, the 20 yard line. I can see the play. And for me, the difference between the reality of what's in front of you versus what's on TV, even there, like it's a stark difference in terms of just what you see, the full picture, how things move, how guys look. I, You know, I think a big part of it is as lame as it is, is it's the off the bus test as well. What does the guy look like? How does he move? sometimes stuff like that on tv there's some optical illusions and i don't know i'm not smart enough to explain it but i know that there are times that i've gone back and watched tape that i've shot and other people have shot of similar plays that i've seen in person and noticed how different things can look right and there's always a variety of angles etc um going a little bit further the goal of traditional scouting identify skills or tools and traits you know that you think can project for growth so You're not just looking at the player now. You're looking at the player and, you know, going back into your historical Rolodex of information that you've acquired over years of watching games and saying, all right, what does this guy do? What are these traits that, you know, could portend? If you're a really good scout, you're somebody that understands some of these traits at a much deeper level than I do and are able to say, okay, he's doing this. This is something that can easily be fixed by doing this. Right. Um, And I just think, you know, generally you gain perspective beyond, the numbers right you can put numbers out there just flatly and not necessarily understand oh this guy hit 25 home runs with a 102 90th percentile exit velocity you know okay maybe he's got great bad angles something like that that's you look for analytics you don't have the numbers the distance of home runs or the dimensions of the park that he played in or whatever or even the guys that he's facing you don't necessarily have the context for the quality of those home runs in the minor leagues. And obviously the majority of pitchers you're facing in the minor leagues are never going to see the majors. Um, A lot of them aren't really legitimate prospects. And there are some parks with really funky dimensions. There are parks, you know, like Everett uh, in Washington. I believe that's the the high affiliate in the Northwest league for the Seattle Mariners. I think it's like three sixty seven to dead center. So does that, you know, you think about that and it's like, then you start to think about some of the players there. Does that change your perspective on Harry Ford's power or Tyler Locklear's high-end power? Maybe it doesn't, but I think when you see it, you can put that into context as opposed to just looking at the numbers. There's certainly ways if you have enough analytics to dive into that. But when we're looking at, from a scouting perspective, we're talking more about prospects. There is a limited data set that's available publicly. Um Anything else you want to chime in on, Scouts? Before I kind of
2: run down on the positives of analytics. Yeah, I, I think just opening opening statement here. Uh, <laughs> I think in the public space, there's a lot of like back and forth about like analytics versus traditional scouting. This that whatever. I think in the non-public space, meaning the thirty clubs, like mm-hmm. there's a general agreement amongst mm-hmm. clubs that do it well on the evaluation side, that it is a marriage of both. You need both. Yes. You can't operate with one and not the other. And both of them are equally important. Both of them play into the model in some degree. Uh, and you know, I'll get into it later on. You know, A lot of the context that can be provided by having a human being surrounding the evaluation process as opposed mm-hmm. to just looking at numbers. Also, just throwing this out there, I'm a huge fan of, and these environments are shriveling up, you know, the, the more we advance in technology and everything becomes more accessible of places where you don't have perfect information because that's Mm -hmm. that like, you know, in the, in the eyes of an evaluator, that's where like an evaluator can really go in and like show Mm -hmm. their worth or compete. Like evaluators want to compete. Yeah. They want to compete with the guy next to them. If you're going and you're watching SEC baseball, like, okay, you all got the same information. You've all seen these players a million times. Like there's not a whole lot to compete on there, but like international scouting's always been great from from that component where it's you know, there isn't perfect information. So like there are international departments that crush it, and there's international departments that are still trying to figure out what their process is, or like a lot of times it's just throwing you know, blind darts at the board and and seeing what hits the bullseye Um, here in the States, like the high school environment for the elite player is starting to become a little bit like perfect information. Um, Not quite to the level of high level division one baseball, but yeah, you know, Jeff, I know, I know that you're, you dive into the numbers a lot, but it's kind of nice when it's like, there's no numbers on this guy. What do we do? And you look at it a lot more from the pro side as opposed to the amateur side. So yeah. And I do, I
1: do a lot of college stuff um, in terms of playing with data and stuff like in season in the background and certainly have strong opinions based on in-person looks from the Cape as well. But, um, and I think that kind of segues nicely. So like when I got into analytics, it was actually because of being behind home plate at the park at the time, Peter Flaherty, who's now with baseball America was with Katuit And the Cape Cod baseball league He was probably 19 years old. And 2019 I'm sitting behind home plate. The track man's right here. I know what velocity is and I know what the spin rates are. I don't know what tilt is. I don't know what vertical is. I don't know what horizontal is or any of these other things, release height, these different things. You know, I had a basic idea of extension but had no idea of how it all worked together and like what was coming out. So the thing that I did over that off season and then 2020 happened in the pandemic, I really studied up on advanced data. And, you know, I had help from some folks that work within that world, um, kind of drilling me on stuff and explaining things as I got things wrong. Uh, And I learned a lot from it and now I can go there and I can understand A lot of what comes off of that device, Um, which is great because in real time, this is very much my process. And this is what I want to get into is the data allows me to be honest with myself and it's allows me to be accountable with myself on certain things. Right. But also if there's times where I challenge the data, I have a really good reason for why I challenge it because I understand the things that can happen that can make it imperfect we'll say. Right. We say that the the prep data is perfect or the college data is perfect, but it's not. It's not. It's not a great like to like comparison between pro ball and particularly college where guys are using metal bats. We know that there's been a lot of rumors about bat tampering and things of that nature. So a lot of the EVs, there was a significant rise this year in high-end evs in college and has been for a few years now that could be the technology it could be the ball and i'll go a step further the ball in college the seam separation and height is different than it is in pro ball and there's some there's some difficulty there you'll see a guy like carlson reed who had a great slider at west virginia and on the cape he comes into pro ball And the seams are different. The ball doesn't move the same way that it did before. It doesn't happen with everybody. A lot of, most guys, I would say that it does translate. Um, But, you know, I think that it's a little bit of a give and take. And I think that, like, the scouting thing, the watching the games, the understanding it in greater detail allows you to be a better analyst. And I've seen that with guys internally. The guys that I've known that have gone in and worked in analytics departments or guys that I know have been successful scouts, you know, the scouts will do what I do, where they sort of, you know, um, keep themselves accountable or check against what the data saying or what the model saying, depending upon what particular team. There's one particular team and I have a contact I chat with where he puts in the scouting reports after sitting on a series. And then he gets to see at that point what the model says. And then the model sort of offsets ba- based on his report. So if he has a higher grade than the model then the number in the model might bump up a little bit and vice versa. And there's a lot of advanced teams who have had a lot of success over the last couple of years who have a similar process. And I think we see it with a team like the Dodgers or the Mariners or the Rays. They've all done a really good job of not only having analytics and player development, and understanding the numbers, but also having robust scouting departments of really good scouts. And I think you see that particularly with the Dodgers. It's a big scouting department and they kind of run the gamut in terms of personalities and ages and philosophies on the game. Um, And I think that that's, that's the thing that gets missed in the public discussion the most often is it's these aren't black and white questions. There's a spectrum of colors and perspectives here that color everything in. And I think, you know, my biggest thing when I'm talking about this issue is, you know, it's the old expression came from J live a rapper. I used to listen to back in 2000, New York guy, pretty good. Um, Papoose
2: Papoose. He's, Papoose. He's a little
1: different than Papoose, but, uh, but he had, he had a line and I don't, I don't think it's original to him, but he he's like, you know, if you have one target, aren't you better off with two darts? And I kind of look at it like that. It's like if I'm trying to get the most robust understanding of who this player is, what his capabilities are, what his limitations are, what he potentially has left in projection, I have to look at both. I have to understand both as well as I possibly can before I go in and I write that scouting report. And I'm in the, I'm in the midst of doing this right now for the next month and a half, writing you know 120 scouting reports. So um, for me, it's like I put all that together, and it's very easy to then write. I can write the report in 20 minutes, but the research might take an hour and 10 minutes. You know, like with each one, it's more digging in understanding watching the tape talking to people like doing all those sort of things that you have to do to really get a great understanding of you know the player and and who he is and what he can and can't do um i'll shut up now for a minute matt jump in here
2: yeah i want to go back to my thought about context and again i'm looking at i mean look there's plenty of context on the pro side too like the things that are going on in these guys lives like if you're just looking at the numbers, like guy goes through a tailspin for a month, like you don't know what's going on. You don't know if there's underlying injury. You don't know if he's having trouble sleeping. Like I remember, what was it? Um, Mike Napoli when the Red Sox won the world series, you know, beat the, they beat the tigers in the ALCS. And then I'm getting old. I think it's the Cardinals. I think they beat the Cardinals that year. Um, but like he had sleep apnea and it was like when he fixed the sleep apnea problem, then he was able to sleep better. And that led to a a jump in performance. So like, there's so much context around these players and especially at the amateur level. Now I, I want to pull something up because I had this conversation yesterday with a mutual friend of ours um, in regards to what are the indicators for future success for an amateur player? Uh, Athleticism being something that we discussed and agreed upon, but also, um makeup right but i took it a step further and uh, i recently started reading the fourth book by my favorite author adam grant i don't know are you familiar with adam grant i am not adam grant is uh it's organizational psychology all right i love organizational psychology i think anything with psychology or economics is fascinating to read and i think that uh if you apply it properly it all fits in the conversation of baseball. Um but yeah, Hidden Potential by Adam Grant just came out a couple of weeks ago. Um I got the first copy off the press. Can't confirm that. Um but there was a really interesting thing in here. And and the reason why I like I bring this up in terms of context is like okay, you're looking at let, let's use uh my favorite example and everything. Brendan Donovan Right, seventh rounder out of South Alabama. Like, was there anything in his Cape performance? Was there anything in his time at South Alabama that suggested he should have gone higher than the seventh round? I, I don't think so. I like. I, no, like I'm. I'm pretty familiar with it. Like he went to the Cape. He was a temp player in Hyannis. He hit under 200. Like South Alabama, he was you know like a nice player, but he wasn't like hitting like 450, whatever. But there are underlying character traits i think that when he got into pro ball like accelerated him all right so like that's the content this is where you know i'm getting more into the like the the scouting side and, and the importance of scouting mm-hmm. as opposed to you know the analytics but like okay let, let's go to hidden potential by adam grant and there was this really interesting study that was done in the 1980s in Tennessee there were 11,000 students between kindergarten and third grade that were randomly assigned classrooms in lower income schools. So this, this study was done by Raj R A J Chetty C H E T T Y. Who's like a world renowned, um, I think economist. Anyway, Raj Chetty does this study and he finds that more experienced kindergarten teachers, uh, the kids who had more experienced kindergarten teachers had greater future earnings as adults. It wasn't just like, oh, like this is like a, it was like overwhelmingly like by by the age of 25, if you had a more experienced kindergarten teacher, you had, you know, on average over a thousand dollars more average earnings per year. Um then he does a follow up study and he looks at students in the fourth and eighth grade from the same populations. And he has their fourth and eighth grade teachers rate them on the following subjective uh, traits proactivity, uh, how pro social they are, how disciplined they are, and how determined they are. And what they found was that the more the students that were rated higher by their fourth and eighth grade teachers in those four things subjectively had more experienced kindergarten teachers. Okay, so now they're looking at it and they're looking at adult income based on fourth grade ratings of their teachers. In those subjective qualities, proactivity, pro-social discipline and determination, those students were 2.4 times more, um, earned more than comparing that to math and reading performance on standardized tests all right so i'm going to try and like bring this whole thing back the more experienced the kindergarten teacher was the more likely they were to to score higher on subjective proactivity pro-social discipline determined which ultimately indicated later on in life much higher earnings and success as opposed to when they looked at standardized test scores at a young age that was less deterministic of future earnings. Okay, so all of that to say, if that applies to real world earnings, why can't that apply to baseball earnings? So, I, Jeff, I'm not. I I don't know if you followed all that, or, or whoever's listening you followed that. I'm going to sum it up this way: If I'm an amateur scout, I need to figure out if, and I'm on a player, I need to figure out who their kindergarten teacher was and how much <laughs> they had
1: now uh i wonder i wonder if we did a similar study with with baseball uh you know and and how uh, early coaching could impact that you know we'll we'll go back in five six years and see all these really successful players from rice academy and we'll know matt we'll know um what that came down to no i think that's um i think that's interesting right and um you know there's there's a lot of ways to sort of Digging on players, you got to understand, like you said, the off the field stuff, the makeup stuff, and it's not so much even the off the field stuff, and I think, I don't know if we talked about this on air, or if it was an off air conversation between the two of us, but I think there's different buckets of makeup, like you have your on field makeup guys like your Tommy fam, you have a Lourdes Guriel who's really good, he's a top step guy, he's keeping people loose in the clubhouse. And then you have your guy who's a good citizen off the field. Sometimes they're all three, sometimes they're two out of three, sometimes they're one out of the three. Um, but, you know, I think there's different buckets in how that all breaks down. And there's obviously, particularly on on the prep side, there's more work that needs to be done on that sort of thing to understand who you're investing in uh, at such a young age with such a huge amount of money, Right.
2: Um, well, I, I think that, and in, in when you talk about some of those subjective traits that Adam Grant called out that were part of that study, right? Like determination and discipline, right? Like Lourdes Gurriel, Tommy Pham, and the guy who's a good citizen off the field, let's call it Evan Longoria, right? Like he's he's also let's – He's been around end. for a long time. No issues that I know of. Exactly. Like all three of those guys can present entirely different. But they could all have the underlying traits of discipline and determination, right? And in that book, it it further goes on to talk about getting comfortable being uncomfortable and how important that is for learning new things and progressing and accelerating growth in anything. The propensity that a player has for being willing to be uncomfortable. That doesn't have a skin color or a presentation or anything like that. That's these are like inborn traits where it's like, there are, there are examples of this in every demographic, in every capacity in life, every profession where like this dude was just more disciplined and determined than everybody else. And he got successful. Right. Like uh, we were talking about Russ. The rapper. The and
0: rapper.
2: Yeah. And you're just, and, and you know, I brought up John Bellion. and I think Russ and John Bellion are both very similar. Like those guys woke up every day and made music every single day. Mm-hmm. And then one day, like the comp, like it started to compound and then it went parabolic, mm-hmm. you yeah, know, to pull out a, a, a crypto term, but like those guys like mm-hmm. have inborn character traits, discipline, determination, that ultimately made them really, 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 really good at what they do and then led to, like, high levels of success, right? And that's where, you know, knowing Brendan personally, like, that's where Brendan becomes a big leaguer and has success at the highest level. Extremely 80-grade discipline, right? 80-grade determination, So, again, it, these are things that are hard to like. I just threw, it just threw eighty grades on there, right? <laughs> Completely subjectively. Yes. But that yeah. makes sense now, reflecting on it. Now, I'm, I'm not saying like, okay, like, oh, you should have seen that, you know, when he was in high school, or you should have seen that when he was at South Alabama. You should have gone higher than the seventh round. Like, no, but it goes back to the whole the imaginary war and the subject of this podcast which is like for the people that that say like analytics doesn't have its place or the people that say like oh analytics is the end-all be-all like yeah truly a marriage of the two
3: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed
0: Yeah,
1: no, I agree. And I think that um, it's funny because a co- the first conversation we ever had had an impact on my perspective on this and how things got so skewed to the general public. And if I can bring this up, first time I had you and, and your partner Sean on, um, Sean was a consultant for Moneyball, correct?
2: He, he was <laughs> he was part of some production meetings yeah
1: okay if i can't say that i'll cut this out of the episode you know
2: no, you could say it. You, okay yeah, but, yeah.
1: and so he jokingly said to brad pitt pitt's like hey anything else you look for and he was like attractive girlfriend or hot girlfriend and i can remember sean said you know i was joking with him i said back to him well he was like what do you mean and he was like you're a confident guy brad like you ever have an ugly girlfriend and you know brad pitt obviously was like no course not you know blah 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 and so sean then says he doesn't see the movie he's on a plane flying back to the east coast or something uh two years after the movie comes out it comes on on a plane and he hears that line about the attractive girlfriend thing and he was like i just said that as like a throwaway in a meeting and it's become a rallying cry that analytics people will say when sort of messing with area scouts and that sort of thing and i feel like the perception of scouts from that movie became so skewed from what it actually is, you know, and how advanced the understanding of analytics is for a lot of scouts that I talk to on both sides of the house, whether it is in the pro side or whether it is on the amateur side, because so many of them, even old school guys that have worked for big clubs that have been there since the early nineties, understand a lot of analytical traits because they've had training in it it's been a focus they have a big analytics department it's become a part of the conversation so they have to understand it it's on job training just like anybody else you know um so that's radar gun
2: was the original analytics the stopwatch was the original analytics so it was a radar gun right that's what i'm saying right the radar gun and the stopwatch like those are (laughs) objective objective numbers that Mm -hmm. you can now compare to other players. Like, so in, okay, now we got, now we got spin rate. Now we got, you know, vertical attack angle. Now we got all these other things. It's just an evolution of whoever brought the first radar gun out. Exactly.
1: I I think that like, blame him. You, your, your livelihood and existence and, and where you've gained prominence in the baseball world is something that was a marriage of the two. Sean wanted a more objective way to rate, at least is what you've said to me, athleticism, because it is very it is very subjective from person to person. Some of it is just eye test. This guy looks like an athlete. This guy played three different sports and was good at basketball. He's the Jordan Adams. And maybe they rank that guy as a, a better athlete than a Johnny DeLuca. And you know what you've created is trying to come up with an objective uh, athletic score that can measure these things in a way that translate directly and correlate directly to things like throwing velocity and exit velocity. And there's a ton of value in that. And I think from time to time, I'm sure you'd back this up. I bet this results shock some people just based on what their perception is of a particular player and his athleticism versus what you get from those tests.
2: Yeah. And like the load and score isn't supposed to be a definition of athleticism, but I I, I do think that it's a key component of athleticism, which is the motor and it's an objective measure of the motor. Right. So it's, you know, if I'm going out and I'm putting money on a drag race, like, let me see what's under the hood, you know? And like, there's no guarantees that, okay, this, this guy's got a bigger motor than this guy. And like, I'm going to put my money on the guy with the bigger motor. Well, he might not be able to keep it between the lines and he might end up flipping crash and burn, uh, let's not go down that road, but it, that's, you know, eight out of 10 times, the guy with the bigger motor is probably going to win in the sprint. Um, not to get lost. Right. But I, Jeff, go ask anybody, go ask a parent at flag football practice. Go ask a parent at uh, cheer practice. Go ask a high school football coach, um, in your town, go ask a, you know, professional hockey coach, go ask, a basketball athletic trainer. Go ask a strength and conditioning coach on the private side somewhere. Go ask a, any scout. There's no universal definition for athleticism. You no. go ask them individually, they'll all tell you something entirely different. And that's the problem with having a box on your scouting report that says athleticism and having to put a twenty-eighty grade or a 2-8 grade on it. Mm. Right? Is there's no universal definition of athleticism. So if we don't define it the same than the area scout in the northeast and the area scout in south florida and the area scout in in southern california are all looking at that box differently and this is what you know sean conveyed to me he scouted for 10 years he was an area guy he was a regional cross checker and then he was a national cross checker and he's like i'm sitting yeah. here and it's like my area scout in the northeast is you know he says this guy's an athlete because he plays three sports but he's not a star in any of them and then the guy in the in Southern California is banging on, you know, a certain player, you know, for not being an athlete because he only plays baseball and he doesn't play other sports. Right. And it's like their definitions of what an athlete is. Like, do those things have any, is there any meat on that bone in terms of like predicting future value of the player or or, or future performance? Yeah. And 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 that's where Sean was like, Hey, we probably need to find a way to like, objectively great athleticism and see if it's important well turns out seven years later we've got a load and score and it's important yeah and, and and i think you know
1: um the thing with that too is it's it's defining those traits in a way that you can measure and then like we said correlate that back to certain skills i think that those tests can also Maybe I'm wrong. I haven't looked at the numbers extensively. Obviously, I'm going secondhand off a lot of this, (laughs) but you're the right guy to talk to about it. Um, Some of the projection is within those numbers, that if you see there's a higher power score than maybe this guy's on-field performance has shown, then you may be digging into the swing, and you're like, there's some things here that I think we can optimize. There might be more power here. He might get a flat 40 grade from a guy watching his games, but. We look here, maybe it's more of a a current 40, future 50, future 55 because he's capable of hitting higher end exit velocities. And we know the guys that can touch those higher end exit velocities typically develop bigger power at peak because then it's just a matter of adjusting your swing, etc. And that's not easier said than done, of course, but it does happen with these pro guys, especially if they have that athleticism. And I've I've always looked at athleticism as it's the ability for the body to adjust quicker. That's what I've always seen, even with little kids, right? Your best athlete will pick up something and a couple of cues within five minutes versus three practices with a guy who's maybe on a lower spectrum of athleticism, right? Just in terms of their physicality, ability to do it, they have things that they can do, which is more natural. Um, you know, I, I think that there is still some, probably some object, some subjectiveness to what I just said for sure. Um, but, I do think that it's this underlying current that doesn't get necessarily discussed. And it's funny because it's not something that outside of you and maybe a few other places uh, or styles of testing that can really give an objective number on those sort of traits. So,
2: well, I I do think that there's something that's really important to bring up here. And that's the handoff that occurs at the draft, right? Mm -hmm. So like the amateur scouts, scout these players for an entire year leading up to the draft draft happens, certain players are selected to your organization and they are handed off to player development. Okay. Now, once they're handed off to player development, player development's got to have tools to be able to, you know, okay, that maybe there's an unlock here. They got to be able to actually unlock that. Right. Like, okay, is there, you know, a tweak we can make to the swing that's going to, you know, unlock something in this guy's offensive game, offensive profile, whatever it is. But, Again, value of traditional scouting is that they can go out there and they can, basically, through an evaluation, be like, okay, you know, maybe there is more in there. Here's an objective number that says that there could potentially be more in there. Let's figure out why he's not realizing that right now. It's almost like a a reason to go further, right? Mm-hmm. It's like that, I think that's what objective data does for you as as a scout. It's like a reason to ask the next question. It's like why is this guy? Yeah you know, with a six or a seven ERA, like, and he's got a really good fastball, you know, like the fastball looks good, but he's not performing. Why? You know what I mean? Like that, that's never stopped a scout in the past where it's like, okay, well, you know, this guy's throwing 92 and he's got a really good body and he looks athletic. Turns out he is athletic. What's the unlock. Right. And then you kind of yeah. do, you could do like a biomechanics, you know, go into like the actual, you know, whether it's a pitcher or hitter or whatever, what they're doing and you'd be like, oh, well, he doesn't get into his, you know, he doesn't hinge properly. Yeah. Is that something we can fix? Mm -hmm. Right. Is that something that like when we fix that, all of a sudden he's going to go from like sitting 92 to like sitting 95 or 96. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden the secondaries play up. And when the secondaries play up, like this is a guy. Because at 92, like he was throwing strikes. He was just getting hit. At 96, when all the secondaries go up, this guy's unhittable. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I think those are a lot of the things. And that's why you see, and you brought it up earlier, like the Seattle Mariners have done a really good job in the past couple of years of like taking pictures and like Brian Wu, I think is a pretty good example. Uh, Bryce Miller is probably another really good example. And we got like, one in on the farm right now, Darren Bowen,
1: that's a really good example.
2: Darren Bowen. And and they just drafted um, Brody Hopkins from, I think. Yeah. Brody. Another one. He's, a right? great He's got turbo He's a stuff and go look at his college numbers. Right. His college numbers don't lend to the eye test of of being a fifth round draft, but he was right. And they have the tools and they've <laughs> identified certain things in those players where they're like, okay, if we can unlock these things, and like the Dodgers do it too. Like Emmett Sheehan's another example. Like Emmett Sheehan didn't have great numbers at Boston College that said, All right, this guy's gonna go start in the big leagues a couple of years after the draft. Well, he did. Right. And and I think that's that's the point, right? of like, okay, let's look at the numbers and the numbers might point us in the direction of a player that we like initially wrote off. Yeah. All right. Let's figure out like why his performance doesn't match what we like in the numbers. And if it's fixable, then you got yourself a gem, diamond in the rough. That's the, like, that's the whole, that's the chase. That's the chase, Jeff. A hundred percent, man.
1: That's what it's all about. And, uh, I've been talking about it for a long time that, you know, if you're able to buy the to steal a, a phrase from Bill Parcells, going back to our Patriots uh, conversation at the beginning of the show, but you know, if uh, he'd always say, you know, if, if you want me to make the meal, you got to let me shop for the groceries, and I think it's similar. Where you know, if you have a great French chef, you should go out and buy the fr- ingredients to make a great French meal. You know, give these give this player development team the traits that they can develop into good pit into good players, and I think that. Understanding understanding, um, you know, how things work and the strengths of your organization when a player is inside of that organization is a huge advantage for teams like the Mariners, the Dodgers, the Rays. I think the Rangers have gotten better at this as well. And the Braves. There's others as, as well. Um, but I think that that's where, you know, the actual magic happens is where everything does come together and work in accordance. And uh, you bring a player in and, and he's able to exceed expectations. Uh, that he had it as an amateur.
2: Yeah, last thing and then I, I know you gotta go here. Um, but I just think that like again, as if you're a fan listening to this and you're one, you're going back in time and you're like, okay, well why didn't you know my team select Jordan Walker? Um Jordan Walker went somewhere in the twenties, I think, or like Mike yeah, Trout or right. Aaron Judge. 20th overall. Like there's a good chance that like maybe your team didn't have the environment to develop that player into what they became, mm-hmm. right? I I think that's a really important discussion. It's not to say that like your team's player development isn't great, but they might be really good at something else, and and they're looking for a different type of player. And that happens every single year. There will be good players in every single draft that are selected further down the board than they should have. That will go to the right fit, and they'll develop into all stars, right? Like that's just going to happen. But that's not to say that if they were selected earlier, they would have became the same player because maybe it wouldn't have been the right developmental fit. There's so much to it, Jeff. And it was 21. Garrett Mitchell
1: actually went at 20, who's a really interesting discussion. We could probably go on for 10 minutes between (laughs) Jordan Walker and Garrett Mitchell and how they were perceived as athletes and athleticism and what tools and traits actually translated to major league success. I'm not writing off Garrett Mitchell though. He did start the year pretty good ended up hurt again. Unfortunately, Just uh, but he needs is, to stay healthy, needs to stay healthy and consistently lift the ball, which it looked like he was learning to do. But I hope this was an enlightening discussion for those out there, whether you're a baseball fan, a prospect hound, you know, a fantasy manager uh, doing dynasty stuff in the offseason. I think it's valuable to take in as much information as possible and try to look at sources that use different processes. Um, to get information, you know, look at your, your robo scouts and the other, the other, you know, systems that are out there that are similar to robo scout. There's a few really, really good ones that are out there. Um, look at the scouting reports on baseball America or baseball Prospectus. So different places so you can get a, a more robust feel. I'm always somebody that's subscribed to a lot of different websites and taking in as much information as I can and then try to chat with smart people around me that know the game and uh, taking information like that. I think that's the great thing about baseball. It's the thing I enjoy the most, learning different perspectives, getting different ideas about the game, and uh, growing my perspective and, and my uh, my viewpoint of the game and the things that I'm seeing when I'm at the field or watching the game on TV or looking at the numbers.
2: Yeah, Jeff, let's slam the book shut on The Imaginary War. It's not a salad. The ingredients aren't separated. You can't pick out the onions. It's a soup All right. Analytics and the subjective evaluation of players is all mixed together in such a way at this point where you can't decide, you can't pull anything out. It's just, no, no, you're married.
1: If you miss one step, it's just not going to be the same soup. Going to be too watery. It's not going to have that flavor, you know? Uh, But that has been the 90th percentile. Thanks for tuning in for another week for Jeff, for Matt. This was the imaginary war.